rest of you, uh, you can turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be looking at that today. Before we do, though, I want to review a little bit from last Sunday to make sure we are kind of on track and ready to go. Just in case you missed uh, last week's episode <laughs> of all that was going on, um, I want to remind you from chapter 3, as I asked the question, are you a fan or are you a follower? And uh, making, uh, giving us the challenge that Jesus doesn't want you to be a fan, but to become a faithful follower. And uh, Jesus turns fans into faithful followers as we first are in the presence of Jesus, as it was mentioned there in Mark chapter 3. And you are as close to, to Christ as you want to be. Uh, it's up to us in that situation. And in a world of do, Jesus wants us to first be, be with him. And so if you want to go deep with Jesus, you need to spend time with him in prayer, reading the Bible, connecting with him in that way. And when you spend time in the presence of Jesus, people will notice. They will notice something different in your life. And then uh, Jesus turns fans into faithful followers as we go and proclaim Jesus uh, in verse 14. And so we can grow in that uh, go value by, first of all, do something. Don't just stand there, do something. And so you begin by praying, begin by starting, starting to share, start simple. And then the second way of growing in this area of going and proclaiming is to start small. You don't have to go into a stadium and grab 100,000 people and start speaking to them, but you just start with who, who God has placed in your life right now and begin there. Make a renewed effort to get to know maybe your neighbors around you in that area. Now, third area to be able to uh, grow in this area of going and proclaiming is uh, use the resources that are available to you. They're all right there before us online or in, in you know, bookstores, Amazon.com. We're going to be ordering some books for the discipleship class. So there's, uh, there's plenty of resources right there before us. And then, of course, celebrate successes, even the small ones. Hey, I got to know my neighbor the other day. Oh, great, wonderful. Or, you know, finally spoke with that one coworker. Oh, wonderful, good. And you take the steps forward. And like I mentioned, it's always uplifting to hear how God is using people to reach people for Jesus. Be able to have a testimony of how you are moving forward with that. And then a third um, uh, way that Jesus turns fans into faithful followers is to be able to use the power of Jesus. If we're, if we're not seeing the kind of power displayed in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 in our lives, or, or even chapter, Acts chapter 4, verse 33, then there must be some short circuit somewhere, some connection with, with the Holy Spirit that's not quite going right. Let's get renewed with that and see how we can move forward with uh, being able to display God's power in our life. And if you believe that you're not qualified enough to be used by Jesus, just remember that God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called. And so He's called all of us to share our faith. We are be, to be ready, and so He will he will qualify you. He will prepare you, equip you to be able to do that. And 20 centuries later, Jesus' only plan in furthering the kingdom of God is by counting on us. We're the ones. <laughs> Fans will never accomplish this task. Only faithful followers will. 
So Jesus is calling individuals to move from being fans to faithful followers. And that was the message of last Sunday. And I trust that you put that into practice in some way. As we move into this next uh, message in the series of the Gospel of Mark, <clears throat> I want to highlight some of the things from chapter 4 before we get into the message. Just because I don't preach on the whole chapter, and, uh, and so I might miss something here that you're looking forward to hearing, and I apologize if I, I missed that mark for you, but trust that uh, w- what is prepared here today will still uh, feed your soul. But in the first 12 verses of chapter 4, I guess you could call chapter 4 kind of the chapter of parables. You look through it, there's all these different parables that Jesus is talking about. And uh, the first 12 verses, he's talking about the parable of the sower. He's teaching by the lake again, but from a boat off the shore because there's this large crowd of people again pressing in. And uh, he taught them many things by parables. Again, this parable of the sower, where again, the seed on the path is, is there, the birds ate it. And seed on the rocky places were, were dropped there, and the plants were scorched and withered because there was no root. And then the seed was among the thorns as well, but the weeds choked out, uh, choked out the plants, and there, so there was no grain that came from it. And there was seed on good soil, which produced an abundant crop. And so those first 12 verses, Jesus tells this story, and then people are going, mm, that's, that's nice. <laughs> what does that mean? And uh, so Jesus then explained the parable of the sower, not to everyone else, but to the disciples, which is very interesting because everyone else had to either figure it out or be willing to figure it out. And that was the thing, trying to, trying to make sure that if there are people who were actually seeking after him, they would figure this out. Those who didn't care and they were just there to see a show, well, that kind of weeded them out, I guess, so to say, so to speak. But uh, Jesus explains this parable of the sower, and that there's four different ways in verses 13 through 20, four different ways people respond to God's message. It's with a with a hard heart, where Satan snatches the seed, or it's with a shallow heart, where the flesh produces a temporary response, or it's with a crowded heart, where the the world smothers the growth in in a, in a Christian. Or it's with a prepared heart, where there's a harvest that is produced. And that there, right there in verse 13 through 20, could be a good message on its own. But uh, he moves on from there in verses 21 through 25, uh, urging people to allow God's truth to shine through them uh, in a way where he talks about uh, the lamp on a stand. You, you, you person puts it on a stand, you don't cover it up, you don't hide it, you let it shine. And uh, so we as well, too, need to let God's truth shine through us, be able to do that. And, uh, and, and as we, what we receive, we might share with other people. And then in verse 26 through 29, he shares another parable as well, the growing seed. And he shared this parable to explain the process of spiritual growth in a person. We sow the seed. God alone gives the increase, and then we remain alert for when the harvest is ready. Something to keep in mind for those who are going to be going through the discipleship class, and how to be able to um, be ready to be used by God in these different stages in a person's life. And then in verses 30 through 34, uh, he talks about the parable of the mustard seed. 
And he used this parable to explain that uh, all of Christianity had very small beginnings that would grow into a worldwide community of believers. This is going to be a huge thing that's going to be happening. And he spoke in parables, again, like I mentioned, to challenge sincere seekers to discover the meaning of his words. The disciples got an explanation on everything. They had the inside track. Uh, almost you could, you could just kind of not listen, and then Jesus would tell you later, I guess. Maybe some of them did that. I don't know. But uh, if you're prone to do that type of thing, then you were, you were in with this group as far as, oh, I'm going to get the explanation of what he's talking about because I don't know what's, what he's saying here. And then, uh, of course, in 30, verses 35 through 40, 41, where we're going to be landing here today, is the, uh, where we find that Jesus calms the storm on this sea. And uh, it brings us to our message. And message today, basically a question, you scared? You scared? I, uh, I owe a debt of anxiety and fear and worry to a couple guys, one by the name of Peter Benchley and another one by Steven Spielberg. Peter wrote the book and Steven directed the movie based on the book called Jaws. <laughs> and man, I'm a changed person. <laughs> if you've never seen the movie, of course, it's about a big gigantic shark that uh, wreaks havoc on a coast, coastal area. And uh, there's a lot of shark attacks and a lot of things that happen. Well, um, I, must, uh, I must say that, I guess preface all of this, I saw this movie when I was eight years old. Why? Well, it wasn't me. <laughs> uh, my stepfather and my mom decided we'd go through a drive-in theater. And, oh, cool, okay. We got to the drive-in, parked the car there and got it all ready to go. The double feature that I do not understand to this day why we went to this. I don't know what they were thinking. The first movie was called Hell House. The second movie was Jaws. Oh, great one for an eight-year-old. All right. Justin, don't do this. <laughs> Just say, Ricky, run wherever you are. I'm saying this terrorized this kid forever. And uh, if it wasn't Jaws, it was the first movie, of course. But... Uh, Jaws was the one that just encapsulated, it just caught my attention. I was like, I'm not going in the waters anymore. I even got so scared as even trying to go into our pool, Ingram pool. I was thinking, it's going to come out of that light right there. I just know it's going to open up and a shark's going to come out and get me. I would freak myself out. But to this day, though, in the ocean, I'm not so keen on swimming out there. Because I know what happens to things out there when they're bobbing around in the water. A few months ago, Maddie took a trip down to San Diego on her own. She said, I want to go down to San Diego and, and just enjoy a few days down there. Because she wanted to go surfing, learn how to surf. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't be the sole surfer. You're going to lose your arm and everything. I said, you know what happens to those people. They look like those chubby Sea lions on the water, your legs hanging out of a surfboard, and sharks love that stuff. So I was really, I was concerned for her. I gave her warnings, but of course she didn't heed them. And she's all right. So, but anyway, I got a little phobia about that as far as swimming in water where I can't see what's below me. And especially water like, you know, in the sea or the ocean. But I blame Peter Benchley and Steven Spielberg for that. <laughs> and I guess my stepfather and mother had a little bit to play in that too. <laughs> but our text for today 
takes place on some water, and we're going to find out that the disciples had some pretty intense aquaphobia as well. So if you haven't yet, turn with me in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. We're going to climb in the boat here with Jesus, and as he takes us to the other side. Uh, join with me in verse 35. That day when, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as, he was, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So Jesus obviously has some plans for his disciples that they don't know about. <laughs> and in this passage, we'll discover uh, five truths, five truths about God's plans for today's disciples, us, <laughs> the plans God has. And we'll see that if Jesus is who he says he is, then we have nothing to fear. If Jesus is who he says he is, we have nothing to fear. Now, uh, the first truth that we can discover here in this portion of Scripture is that his plan may be puzzling. His plan may be puzzling. We might not figure out why he's going in this direction. If you look at verse 35, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now, some reasons why Jesus might have done this, wanted to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, maybe he wanted to escape the crowd and get some rest. He tried to do that before, but people found him and said, oh, come help us, we have sick, we have lame, we need to be healed. Um, maybe it was to free a man in bondage, which if you read ahead, a little spoiler alert, you're going to find out that that's going to be happening. Or maybe to reach a different culture with the gospel. And again, the spoiler alert from chapter 5. And also, too, another good reason Jesus would take them to the other side is to train and teach these disciples. And I want to focus on that last reason, but first with a little background. While the Sea of Galilee is mentioned many times in, in the Gospels, and it is the setting uh, or, or, or backdrop here for many of the stories and miracles of Jesus, hardly any focus is on the other side. And that's primarily because that, the, the, that side of the lake was where the Gentiles lived and Jewish people would avoid that area at all cost. Don't go over to the other side. Don't go there. The pagan people lived there, and it was commonly believed that the devil himself lived there on the other side. The other side was unsettling, uncertain, so they'd rather stay away. We're all called to follow Jesus' plan, even when it doesn't make sense. Obedience tells us to do, we do. Tells us to go, we go. Tells us to say, we say whatever he has. So, to each of us, we must go where he goes. And I hope you realize this is not a suggestion, but it is a command of Christ. 
We see this in Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. He gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. He didn't suggest it to the disciples. Hey, why don't you just get in the boat? Why don't you? Maybe you can go over there. He said, no, go to the other side. So the disciples don't hesitate. If that's where Jesus wants to go, then that's where they'll go. And we see this in verse 36. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. So he was already in the boat. Well, let's get in this one here and move on our way. and We'll be good. And there were also other boats with him as well. So they, just, they took Jesus just as he was, meaning they, they, they didn't make any preparations or gather any provisions. They just jumped in the boat and went. If the Savior said it's time to sail, it's time to sail to the other shore. Let's go. But the resolve is about to be tested. You see, it's easy to sail when the seas are calm, but when storms come, that's another story. Which brings us to another truth from this portion of Scripture about God's plan. His plan often includes problems. God's plan often includes problems. The Sea of Galilee was a really... Uh, really a lake, but was called a sea because it had a, a lot of, of the same characteristics. It was 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. And it's the, it's the lowest freshwater lake in the world and was known for its severe storms. So cold wind would whip down from Mount Hermon and combine with the warm lake air, causing explosive thunderstorms and gale-force winds. They would just kick up every now and then. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't uncommon for the waves to reach a height of about 10 to 12 feet. On a sea? On a lake? And sometimes up to 20 feet. One commentator writes, The sea was known to swallow entire ships and gulp down people. Yeah, I want to get in a boat and cross over to the other side. That sounds fun to me. It was a common superstition also, too, to see the water as the abyss where demons lurked in the deep. Again, thank you, Peter. Thank you, Stephen, for all that in my life. And besides that, the lake was thought to be where mysterious sea creatures known as Leviathan lived. Given these superstitions, it's no wonder that the people lived in awe of the lake. I get it. I understand that. But you look at Mark chapter 4, verse 37, it says a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, the word here, furious, comes from a word which refers to something being huge, like, like a, a hurricane. Water's filling up in the boat with the waves spilling over the side, so much so that it was nearly swamped. And Luke chapter 8, verse 23, adds that they were in great danger. Oh, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> we get that. But now, again, remember, Jesus sent them into the boat, knowing that a storm was coming. In order to get to the other side, they had to go through a storm. As a side note, let me just say, don't think that just because you're going through some choppy seas that you're somehow being punished or that you're being disobedient. No doubt God does send some storms to get our attention like he did with a guy named Jonah. But other times, the storms come because of our obedience. Don't base your position in Christ by the storms 
that come your way. Jesus loves you. God loves you. And when storms come, they are often sudden. They come in a split second, seemingly out of nowhere. Storms of life hit us hard. All it takes is one phone call, one doctor visit, an accident, a job loss, maybe even a relational separation. All it takes is just those things happening and you have a storm coming and you're in the middle of it. When storms come, they often are severe. They can cause some significant destruction that alters your life physically, mentally, emotionally, and and also, too, with long-term effects. And when storms come, they often are surprising. We're often surprised when a storm hits, but we shouldn't be because 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. It's going to happen. Storms are coming. Are you prepared? In his book called The Pressure's Off, Larry Crabb argues that God is not a vending machine dispensing blessings as rewards for our good behavior. Put in some good behavior, oh, get out some good blessings, thank you. Put in some more good behavior, give more blessings, wonderful. Let's keep doing this. God's not that way. We need to reject a faith that is filled with a formula that says, if I do A, then God will do B for me. You can't put God in a box like that. (laughs) And Larry Crabb proposes that while we can't always make life work like we want, we can always draw near to God. You might not be able to control the circumstances around you, and I don't know if anybody has ever done that successfully. We can worry, we can have anxiety, we can do what we can in our own power, but still circumstances happen and they come. But what we can do is we can draw close to God through those situations. If Jesus is who he says he is, then we have nothing to fear. His plans for us may be puzzling, and they often include problems, but they come with his presence, which is the third truth that we can find in this portion of Scripture. His plan comes with his presence. So where is Jesus when this storm comes? taking a nap in the back of the boat sleeping in the back of the boat verse 38 jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion now we see here a picture of the humanity of jesus he's tired so he's sleeping you got to remember he's 100 man 100 god with a math mind that does not make sense but that's who he is 100 man 100 god So he's tired, he's sleeping in the back of the boat. This is also a great picture of uh, of him being in total control. He's peaceful, even though there are problems taking place. Don't you like it when, 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 not when turmoil happens, but when turmoil happens and, and chaos all around you, don't you love it when you can go to somebody who's just got the peace, steadiness, and you're just flying all over, ah, the sky is falling, and this person's going, it's okay, it'll be all right. It'll be all right, calm down, breathe, here's a paper bag, breathe, it's okay. You need people like that in your life. And here is Jesus in control, 
peaceful. He's got everything taken care of. He's sleeping while they're panicking. He's still on the throne. Nothing's to throne him in this. Jesus was in the boat with them, and he didn't keep them from the storm, but he went through it with them, which I think that's something we need to keep in mind. He might not keep storms away from us, but he sure can be with us in those storms of life. Now, this had to be, a, be some kind of storm. We know at least four of the disciples were fishermen, and they're freaking out. One preacher pointed out that it's a dark day when sailors call in a carpenter to get them out of the storm. <laughs> but the disciples are totally freaking out, and so they, they wake him up and scream out a question filled with accusation. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, before we get too hard on them, don't we often do the same thing when God doesn't do what we want? It's common to attack his character when bad things happen in our lives. Well, God, why, why did you let this happen? I thought you were a God of love. God, why did you let, let this happen to my loved one? I thought you, I thought you protected us. That you cared for us. That you prepared the way. And so then we attack his character. And for some, they continue on and they wonder if there is a God. While we're taking on water and sinking under the waves of, of worry, God often seems asleep. We see this in Psalm 44, verse 23, where it says, Awake, the psalmist says, Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. If you've been in situations yourself, you know you're not alone. And other people, too, wondering where God is in situations. When tragedy hits, when, when situations happen, you're wondering why do bad things happen to good people? What in the world is happening? God, where are you? But don't ever confuse God's silence with a lack of compassion. God loves you. He cares deeply for you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 tells us to cast all our anxiety on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. <laughs> Scripture tells us that. He cares for you. He cares for me. One commentator says, that the ship that, was, that has Christ in it, though it may be tossed, cannot sink. The ship that has Christ in it, though it may be tossed, cannot sink. It's only in the storm that we understand who Jesus really is. We learn most about Christ when we, we are in a crisis. Remember this, storms weren't sent to destroy you but to develop you. When life storms come your way, they're not there to destroy you and cut you down and destroy. It, they're not to bring destruction your way to cause you not to be able to go on with life. They are to develop you, strengthen you. If Jesus is who he says he is, then we have nothing to fear. His plans for us may be puzzling, and they often include problems, but they come with his presence. And a fourth thing, demonstration of his power. We see this here in the next verses. 
His plan demonstrates his power. Don't you just love how Jesus slept through the storm, but as soon as his disciples cried out, he woke up? The storm wasn't causing a... He didn't wake up, but his disciples called out, and he woke up. He's in tuned, in tune to you guys. He listens. He doesn't care about the stuff that's going on all around, but he listens to your cry. Verse 39, he got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, quiet be still, then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't specifically answer their question about whether he cared? Because they said, don't you care if we drown? The answer they needed was to see a demonstration of his power. All Jesus had to do was utter a command, and what he created instantly obeyed. What a picture. When he stood up, all the forces of nature took notice. What he creates, he controls. And when he rebuked the wind and the waves, they bowed before him. And the phrase Jesus uses means to be muzzled and remain so. Quiet, be still. He said the same thing in Mark chapter 1, verse 25, when he told the demon to be quiet. Mark is showing us Jesus' power over sicknesses, over the demons, and now over the sea. Psalm 89, verse 9 says, You rule over the surging sea when its waves mount up. You still them. So with a word, Jesus muzzled a major windstorm and stopped millions of gallons of water from moving instantly. Just try to picture that. Just the, the waves and storm happening and everything going on, the wind, and all of a sudden when he stands up and he says, quiet, be still, everything calms down. He's like, what just happened? Everything is calm. And there are two, really two miracles here. First, he stopped the wind, and second, he stilled the water. Normally, if the wind dies down, the waves keep rolling, right? They keep going. Everything just calmed down. The wind ceased howling, the waves stopped moving. Then a fifth thing, a fifth truth that we learn out of this about God's plan is his plan always has a purpose. His plan always has a purpose. The greatest storm that night was not on the Sea of Galilee, but in the souls of the disciples. The last two verses of Mark chapter 4 give three purposes behind the plans God has for us. One is to deal with our fear. To deal with our fear. After rebuking the storm, Jesus rebukes the disciples by asking two questions. In verse 40, he asks the first question, why are you so afraid? You scared? Why are you, why are you so afraid? That word means timid. That word means to, to, to the point of giving up. What are you afraid of today? What is coming down upon you today? That's bringing you fear to the point of giving up. The presence of fear can indicate an absence of faith because fear and faith are incompatible. The other, another purpose uh, of, of God's plan is to grow our faith. To grow our faith. And here's his, his second question. Do you still have no faith? <laughs> I've heard it said that fear can fillet our faith and faith can force out our fears. Fear can fillet our faith and faith can force out our fears. The biggest issue is not that Jesus stopped the storm. 
but that he couldn't find their faith. It's ironic that it's only the, only the wind and the waves that are obeying him in this passage. <laughs> what about the disciples? And then a, th- a third purpose here um, is to increase our awe, our awe. One pastor has said that the only thing worse than having a storm outside your boat is to have the Lord Almighty inside your boat. After Jesus asked them two questions, the disciples are very unsettled and in turn ask a question in verse 41. It says they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You've heard of the calm before the storm. This is the storm after the calm. The sea is at rest, but the disciples are all churned up. They're thinking, who is actually with us here? You would think they would calm down when the waves were still. The storm made them afraid, but the power of Christ made them terrified. And this word literally means they they feared a great fear to be stricken with awe and amazement in the presence of one greater than self. They realized there's someone in this boat that is incredible, bigger than us, can do a lot of incredible things. Who is this guy? With deity on full display, they are twice as terrified after the storm. And if Jesus did that to the forces of nature, what would he do to them? In short, they, they didn't have a category for Christ. One translation says, what manner of man is this? <laughs> he was more frightening than what they had just experienced in the storm. And they realized they are in the presence of holiness and felt like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, where he says, Woe to me, I am, un- I, I, I am ruined. R.C. Sproul says that it was his awesome otherness that made them uncomfortable. <laughs> his awesome otherness. That's exactly what Peter said on another occasion when Jesus filled the nets with so many fish that the boat began to sink. And he says in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. And in Mark chapter 5, verse 33, a woman who was healed by touching Jesus' garment had a similar response. It says, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Trembling in fear. Go away from me, Lord. Here's the thing about all this. Unholy sinners are not comfortable in the presence of the holy. I wonder, have we overemphasized Jesus as being our friend at the expense of losing our fear and awe in God? A reverent awe of God will keep us from being afraid during adversity, during the storms of life. Because we realize the one in the boat is much greater and bigger than anything that's going to happen outside that boat. If we fear God, we won't fear other things, and it's only in the storms that we truly understand who Jesus is. So, what can we learn from this perfect storm? We can learn that his plan plan may be puzzling. His plan often includes problems. His plan comes with his presence. His plan demonstrates his power, and his plan always has a purpose. J. Vernon McGee once said, what a wonderful lesson we learn here. He puts us into the storms of life in order that we might grow closer to him and that we might know him better. 
What a wonderful lesson. It is. It's a wonderful lesson. So what are some life lessons here that we can learn here from this passage? This is the section of the so what portion of the, of the message here. What does this matter? What does this mean to me? So let me share a few of these. First of all, Christ cares for you and can help you in your crisis. Christ cares for you and can help in your crisis. The disciples accused him of not caring. Let's not make that same mistake. This incident reveals both the humanity and deity of the, of the Lord Jesus. He fell asleep in the stern of the boat. That's his humanity. He spoke and the storm and the sea were completely calm. That's his deity. He can understand what we're going through because he was fully man and he can do something about it because he's fully God. It's great. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Christ cares for you and can help in your crisis. Also, Christ is in complete control of everything. It's another thing we can learn here. We don't know what's coming, but Jesus does. He's, he's, he's great and He's good. So what do you need to trust Him with today? What is it that's coming your way you need to put your trust in Him for? Let's, let's trust Jesus in the most threatening of circumstances. When they come your way, realize the one in your boat is greater than the one outside of the boat. The one in your boat, as far as when the storms come, is, is, is greater than all those storms happening. Jesus is the one we need to put our trust in and place our, our, our cares upon. Every crisis we go through is really an opportunity to get to know him better. His sleeping days are over. Psalm, uh, Psalm 121, verses 3 and 4. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He's done with sleeping. A third lesson we can learn here is we all must go through storms to get to the other side. <laughs> we all must go through storms to get to the other side. Here at Happy Valley, uh, we've, we've come against some good wind, some good waves, good, some good storms in the last few years as COVID came to our doorsteps. And came to your doorstep as well, too, in an individual way. Each of you have experienced some good storms lately in your lives. You've gone through some stuff. And you're going through some stuff. Let's continue to make sure that we're focused on growing our faith and living in awe of Him. Keeping God forefront and knowing how wonderful and incredible He is. We're not promised an easy trip, but we are guaranteed arrival at our des destination. It might be rough and, and tough along the way, but we'll get there. And remember this, the only way to the other side is through the storms. we got to go through those storms. You will get through this. Another thing we can learn from this is if you're going through a storm, you better have Jesus in your boat. <laughs> you better have him in there. Go back and look at verse 36. It says there were, other, there were also other boats with him. So he wasn't the only boat there. Other people got in boats and said, let's follow him. And so they're all in the boats there along with him. But only one of them had Jesus in it. 
is he in your boat? <laughs> is the Lord in your life? We can go to Jesus in all the storms of life, knowing that the boat can never sink when the Savior is in it. And since Jesus can calm the winds and the waves, he can deal with your issues and problems and lead this church into the future. He's got some special plans for you guys and for this church body as well. Another thing we can learn out of this, this portion of Scripture as well is to make sure that Jesus is steering your ship. Make sure that Jesus is steering your ship. Are you allowing Jesus to be commander of your boat? It's very interesting to, to read in verse 38 that Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. It, the stern is the place where the boat is steered, of course, and that's where it's all controlled. Jesus is in the spot of the steersman. Is he steering your life? Have you given him control of everything? Make sure that Jesus is steering your ship. And finally, another life lesson in this is that uh, Jesus won't always calm the storm, but he will calm you. He will calm me. The Apostle Paul went through a terrible storm in Acts 27. He may not still the storm that you're in right now, but he can still you and keep you calm. He may not always change your circumstances, but if you surrender to him, he will change you. Reminds me of a song by Scott Crepain called Sometimes He Calms the Storm. If you've never heard of it before, let me, let me read the, the chorus to you. It says, Sometimes he calms the storm with a whispered peace be still. He can settle any sea, but it doesn't mean he will. Sometimes he holds us close and lets the wind and waves go wild. Sometimes he calms the storm, and other times he calms his child. He's not going to take all, care of all the storms, but he's going to take care of you <laughs> through those storms. Jesus is who he says he is. So we have no reason to fear. He is the one who is in control. Do you have him in your boat? I'm going to ask the worship team to call on up. Annie, Don, and Ron is going to lead us in the last couple songs here. One of the songs we're going to sing, the next song we're going to sing, is basically reminding us that through all these things that happen in our lives, through it all, uh, we need to trust in Jesus. So have you learned to trust in Jesus? Have you learned to trust in God? Have you learned to depend upon his word? Those things will be, you'll hear that in this song that we're going to be singing here. Maybe that will help you as you come, uh, as we come together and sing this song, but to be able to focus on what God has for you here today. And if you need to pray, you need to realize that God is calling you to hang tight through these storms of life. He's going to bring you through. Maybe you need to come and pray. You can do that. But let's, let's use this song that we're going to sing here next as kind of our, our prayer and uh, get us in tune with God, what God has for us.